You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Erica Grunst, and I have been attending Hope for 15 years with my family. I'm currently serving in the Hope College Ministries. Please stand for today's reading. Our passage today is James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome. Good to see you this morning. Grab your Bibles, your devices, if you're following along today. If you have notes that you received during uh, your entry into the building, we would encourage you to use those as well to write down not just what you hear me say in the sermon this morning, but what God is speaking to your heart, because that is absolutely of the utmost importance. So next week we begin, as Nathan said to us earlier, our series called Better Together. So today is a non-series, and I want to talk to you about, I felt really impressed upon my heart to talk to you about this thought of what is your life. It's a powerful question taken directly from the text from the book of James chapter 4 this morning. And I think if we were to ask each other, you know, turn to each other and say to one another, what is your life? Then you could plug in there this all this countless uh, responses, I think. And perhaps some of them would be what you do or who you are or your responsibilities or your schedule or upcoming schedule, your, your routine. And you could kind of put all that together and say, well, this is my life. But when I look at the question, I think the way it is worded is of utmost importance. What is your life is what he says. And so what he's asking us today is that what does our life consist of? That's what he's asking. What does our life consist of? And so when I began to look at this text in the book of James, what I realized, well, it's really a a routine is what it is. It is what normal, uh, I guess you might say, that of merchants would go through as they sell and do their daily business. So this would be the normal things they do, the routine of life. And you say, Mark, why do you talk to us about this today? Because we're approaching the end of the summer. For some of you that are parents, your kids are going back to school, some of them next week. And some of you are saying hallelujah, right? And some of you are kind of upset about that a little bit. And so just have kids long enough and you're upset. We'll turn to hallelujah at some point probably, right? And, and so you find yourself coming out of the summer, which is a time which is not norm when it comes to schedules, and you find yourself going back into routine. And so I wanted to talk to you about that for a few moments today as we prepare for this season of our life. Now, you are looking at the routine guy. I mean, I am the guy. Uh, Reba was here first service. She's with our family at home, as some of them are 
going back to their homes. This week is what we call Water Slide Weekend at our house. And so it's how we celebrate the last Sunday of July together with our family. We rent this big water slide, put it up in our driveway, and we just have a great time all day Saturday together on it. And so with us, this was our oldest son, Chadwick, and his wife, Natalie, from Atlanta, and then our granddaughters, Abigail and Emma, and then Brad and Marcy, who attend church here, along with that of Selah and Garrett. And so we had a great time, and it was just a lot of fun, but I have a routine in life, right? Now, anybody in here really routined, scheduled out people? Raise your hand if you are that, okay? All right, anybody in here just kind of live by the seat of your pants, forget the schedule? Anybody like that? Okay, there are a few of you. Good, we have a great group of people here. Wonderful. So we're not judging one another, right? We're not gonna judge each other, but we're all very different. So I'm a routine guy. So I thought about what one routine to share with you, and there's so many because I have a routine for all my routines because that's kind of the way I am. And I thought about, well, every night before I go to bed, I go through this ritual in my house. And I did that this week, even with our house full of people. Every t- when everybody went to bed last night, I got up and I, from my study and I went and did these things. So what I do is I go to the couch first. I straighten up all the pillows on the couch and make sure they're in the right place. And you say, Mark, there's a treatment for that, right? I know, okay? Don't judge me. I'm not judging you, right? And then I leave from that. And I go to the coffee pot and I prepare the coffee pot for the next morning, which I did for this morning. But I put the water in, but I never put the grinds in because I don't want the grinds to lose their flavor overnight sitting in the filter. So I keep them in the container and I put them in the next morning. Then from that, I reach over and I make sure the refrigerator doors are closed before I go to bed. Now, I don't know. That's a weird thing. I realize that, but I do that. Then I make sure all the doors are locked in the house. I check the alarm system. I grab the remote controls for any car that's in the driveway. I go to the window where I can see all the cars and I make sure they're all locked. Okay. I know it's strange, but it gets worse. So hang on, right? It, it, It does get worse. Well, then I go from the kitchen after I turn off all the lights to the thermostat next. I do this every night and I make sure it's on the right temperature. And then I go to the bedroom and usually Reba is in the bed before I am there. And so I make sure that the covers are well uh, proportioned for both of us. I fold back part of it. I make sure the blanket that we use is thrown over both of us. And I pull back my side of the bed. I go do brush my teeth and do all those kinds of things. If it's Saturday night, I lay out all my clothes for Sunday morning. The two shirts I bring with me every Sunday morning, I hang them on the door the same place every week. And then I turn out the lights and I come to bed and Reba rolls over and looks at me and she says, you do realize that this is going to get worse as you get older, she says, right? And that's my routine. That's it. Now, you can judge me if you want. Okay, that's okay. That's fine. But that's what I do. But guarantee that you're not going to come to my house at night to try to break in and find an unlocked door or a refrigerator that's not closed. Okay? Because those things are going to be covered for sure. Yeah. So you're looking at the routine guy. You are. And so I'm preaching to myself 
They say the best sermons that you ever preach are probably the sermons that you preach to myself. So you can be the judge of that later on. But when I look at these texts in verses 13 to 17, what I realize is this. I realize that they are a routine. They're, they're the norm for these people of business and the things that they go through. And when I see the book of James and read the entirety of the book of James, it's such a practical and a powerful book for you and I that you can take these illustrations like this very one that he speaks and you can thoughtfully and prayerfully lay it over your life. And what I realize is that as he writes this so practically that in this process of the routine that he uses for these merchants, that there's something that I find that must be ultimately important that is missing or neglected in what they're doing. The failure is not that of having a plan. That's not the failure at all. But I think the failure is what is forgotten in the process of the plan. And so I read through these short verses so many times and this statement that says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring kind of stuck with me because I am a planner and a routine person. And when I realize that I don't know what tomorrow holds, then that is a very humbling thing for me because I love to have things planned out. I really do. And I love to have sticky notes for things and I love to have lists for all those kinds of things. And when I know that there's something out there that I'm not able to control or plan for, it humbles me. It humbles me. And so I begin to look at all of chapter 4. And I begin to look at verses like verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And I understand that Paul writes this illustration with a pen of humility. In the middle of routines, in the middle of planning, in the middle of putting all of those things together in our life to make things run smoother for our families and for our own personal life, that he never says, no, you should never do that. You should never fly by the seat of your pants and not have a plan. He never says that at all. He never speaks negative about having a routine. It's not that at all. But in this, he admonishes us by writing to us with a pen of humility that you're not as much in control as you think. Yeah. You're not as much as in control as you think. You're not. And I don't know if that's a surprise to some of you in the room. But I think it's something that you have to let sit in your heart and let sit in your mind for a moment. That you are not as much in control of your life as you think you are. But I have to preface that statement with something. That just because you don't know what tomorrow holds, it does not mean or imply That the tomorrow is random. Understand that. That's what James is getting to in his teaching this morning. And in this illustration. It's not that at all. That you are meant to know through this teaching. That there is someone that does know what tomorrow brings in your life. And that is God. So tomorrow is not random. But you don't always know what tomorrow holds. Or you don't always have as much control as you think you do. And for some of you in the room that are super hyper planners, you have a list with a little checkbox for everything in life, and you simply want a case of sticky notes for Christmas more than anything else in life, I know that this makes your mouth somewhat dry, 
and it makes your palms sweaty to think that you're facing something that you don't know anything about and you don't have control over. And I want you to rest in what James is teaching you and I this morning in this that we are to humble ourselves, humble ourselves in this process of life and planning and routine in the light of this truth that God is ultimately in control of everything and we are not. Can you say amen? We're not. Wow. And so he says, sit in the humility of that for a moment. Oh, he, he's... He's huge about this. I mean, he he means business. Verse six, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That that James is what he's going to do. He's he's going to even go as far in all of this as he calls planning and routine outside of considering God. When you plan or when you have a routine outside of considering God in the middle of all of that, James even calls that arrogance on our part. That we are arrogant to plan and we are arrogant to, to have routines within our lives outside of understanding that God is ultimately in control and we surrender to his will in all those things of our life. So he says that we're arrogant if we have a life of planning outside of that. So three things I want to share with you very quickly this morning. The first thought is this, the failure of not planning God into the details of our lives. It's the failure of not planning God into the details of our lives. So I want to talk about that for a moment. And you say, Mark, you got to hurry, make this a fast moment because we've already had some things planned after church. And that's my point. You see, that's the point of all of this. Look at verse 13. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and we'll make a profit. So you say, well, what's the problem here? Is the problem going places and planning to go places? Because that's the case and I have to cut my calendar. And and I want to tell you, before you draw some kind of mental conclusion about what we're going to talk about this morning, this is not about you going necessarily, you going home and taking your calendar or on your phone with your calendar or on your laptop or whatever, and you to begin to mark off dates, you know, as that that's what James is saying to you. You begin to cancel all these things. That's not what he's really teaching you and I this morning. No, but it's about plans. And if you look at the way these plans are, it says, come now you who say, these are plans that have been thought through by these people been spoken by their very words without taking a true view of life and God into account. This is not necessarily about you trimming things out of your schedule. It's how you approach your schedule and in what mindset you approach the things in life that you are responsible of taking care of. And James is so serious about this that he uses the term arrogance. Why? Because arrogance is an assumption that we control the times and happenings of our lives. That somehow we think that we can plan the sovereignty of our great God out of our life. In reality, it is not possible to plan the sovereignty of God out of your life. But it is very possible for you to plan the awareness of the sovereignty of God out of your life. And for that to not be something that molds your heart and molds your mind. So I looked at this illustration and I thought, how 
practical it is. Because this is really our life. He talks about time. And men, we're also time conscious in our, in our life today and tomorrow. That we have purpose that we will go. We have a plan to get something accomplished. Then we have this, you know, there, there has to be a place. They talk about that into such and such a town. We have goals that if I'm going to do all this planning, I want to accomplish something by what I have planned. Their goals were to spend a year there and trade. Then we want that of, of a reward for all of this. There has to be an end to it. And so that of making a profit. And then they start over again. This is the cycle of our life. This is about planning and this is about the routine. And this is how we put our life together. And you say, Mark, is there something wrong with that? No. There's not. Absolutely not. But I think the most dangerous thing about our ordinary routine is the way it makes us forget about God. The most dangerous thing about how we plan and having a routine in life is it that it makes us forget about God. And we're going to talk about that for a few moments. Because when you look at this illustration, look how it's worded. Everything is planned with such great certainty, isn't it? That's the problem. These verses are, are not just to teach you and I as Christians to recite that phrase, the Lord willing, before every statement that we make regarding the future. And, I, and you know you hear people do it. And maybe you've done it and I've done it in the past. Somebody say, hey, are you coming over today? If the Lord's willing, you know, you know what? Are, are, you, are you going to do this in your life? Well, if the Lord's willing and we say that. And what I understand about, even when I've used it in times, it's nothing but words. That's all it is. It's a phrase. It's a, a Christian phrase that we use. And what I understand about what James is saying is that this is to get you and I to think differently when it comes to how we plan our life. Who's James writing to? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people like you and I who love God, who understand the sovereignty of God, who understands that God is ultimately in control of all things. They're busy. Absolutely. People like us, that we are busy about all different kinds of things. And as James sees them making their plans, they're setting their routines in life as we do. They don't think of their plans or their efforts being contingent upon anything or anyone else other than themselves. And in the middle of doing all of that, they push God out of the equation. I want to tell you, it's very possible for you and I to be doing something that is actually good. And that's what this is, right? Planning and having a routine, getting things done, accomplishing something. It's very easy for you and I to find ourselves doing these kinds of things. And even in the middle of doing good, we push God out of the equation of these kinds of situations within our lives. And that's exactly what they're doing. So James says, wait, stop for a moment. Let me have your attention. I want you to humbly recognize God's sovereignty in the middle of everything that you do. And God is ultimately in control. Because I want you to understand that when you set your plans, you set those things in light of God's will and ultimate control of your life. So if you do that, 
When your plans don't work out, when things don't happen the way that you had thought they would happen, when they don't meet your schedule design and and plans will fail you and design will fail you and calendars will fail you. But if you have built that in to that understanding of God's sovereignty and God's ultimate control, then when things don't work out the way you design them to work out, then it doesn't destroy you. I think that's important for you to grasp. That God is ultimately in control. Things are not going to always work the way you think they're going to work. You and I live in the in-between. We've talked about this so many times. This theological statement of the in-between. That of the moment of our redemption of Christ redeeming us on the cross. And that of him returning to make all things right. And in the middle of all of that is a broken world that you and I live. And your best plans are going to fail. And when they're built just upon you. Then it's devastating in our lives. But when we have incorporated the sovereignty of God and the ultimate control of God, then we rest in the fact that God is overwhelmingly in control of our lives. Well, Mark, you just don't understand. I am seriously overextended in my life right now. And some of us think that being overextended is just an acceptable part of our lifestyle that we currently live in this life. And I think, yes, I agree that we do live lives that are overextended. But more than that, I think we live lives that are overprioritized in areas that don't have any eternal significance at the expense of the areas in our life that actually have some eternal experience a significance and over prioritizing in those areas I think leaves us completely unfulfilled in life so God is ultimately sovereign over all things verse 14 says that yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life and he says, he gives, he, he answers that. What is your life? You know, there's the question. What is your life? And then he says, for you are a mist. I love that. Isn't that the most encouraging word that you've ever heard, right? That, yeah, what is your life? You're a mist. You're like a vapor. You're like a fog, he says. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What, what is that there for? I want to tell you what that is there for. What it, it's there for is for you and I to approach all of planning and all of routines and everything that you're putting together to make your life run easier. You approach that with the humility of understanding that your life is a mist and it's not just about your longevity of life. That's not, there's something much deeper than that. That's very surface, I think, in reading through this, but it's about who controls all of that is what it is. That God not only controls the number of years that we live, yes, but God controls our accomplishments. God controls the moments of our life as well. And I find that I rest in that understanding of God in control of all things. But Mark, I'm just stressed out to the max. I'm stressed. So give me some solution 
to this time, stress, or pressure in my life. Give me a solution to that. Because are you telling me to clear my calendar? Is that what this is about? Are you telling me to go on my phone and delete all these other things that I have to, to attend? Is that what this is about? This is about me telling my boss that I'm not coming to work tomorrow because I just kind of need to de- decompress and de-stress a little bit. And if I'm not feeling it on Tuesday morning, I'm not coming together Tuesday morning either, but I may be there on Wednesday. And if you do that, can I tell you, you're probably going to have a lot of time to decompress, right? Yeah, because you're not going to have a job. Yeah. So is that what James is teaching us? And I would say to you, no. That's not what he's teaching you at all. That the solution to the stress of my life, he says, is the whole context of chapter four, and that's humility. That is humility, is what that is. It comes from this knowledge of knowing that I'm a mist unless God, the eternal God, establishes us that I don't know what tomorrow brings But yet this is about something deeper than just how long I live. This is about who I rely on while I'm living and that I'm relying on God and not solely upon myself. It's what he's teaching us. That I'm utterly dependent upon God and that is not a sign of weakness at all, but that is a powerful sign of strength. In my life. Wow. I've never thought about that of understanding humility and and understanding the truth of humility in my life as the the antidote to less stress in my life. But when you look at it in the context of this illustration, it really makes powerful sense. The more that I take my eyes off of me and the more that I place my eyes on God and his sovereignty within my life, then the less I am worried about tomorrow, even when I still don't have all of the answers and I don't have them, but I realize who does have them. And so this becomes a relationship of reliance and I'm relying solely upon God. And that does take some of the stress out of my life, even when it doesn't give me all the answers for all the questions. Wow. I think if anything, we could just stop and pray and go home because I think for me, when I was doing this study through this text, that that was so powerful for me to understand that because I find myself, I find myself at times under a great deal of stress and I don't deal with it often very well and I become contemptuous toward everybody around me. My family, can Reba can say it. She can say things to me like, oh, I can tell that you're dealing with something right now and all those kinds of things. And I have to remind myself continually. I have to go back and I have to go through this continually in my life that this is a relationship, reliance on my part to God and this is not all about me, that I'm not the center of my universe and everything revolves around me me and I don't have to carry that weight because the father 
<clears throat> excuse me, sent the son to carry that weight for me. And God carries that weight because he is in ultimate control of my life. So it's a matter it's not a matter of you and I just taking our calendars and wiping things off of it. It's a matter of our mindset changing and how we approach our schedules and our lives and the things that we do in life. Second thought is this. It's all in our approach to life. Verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, there's that statement, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. See, there is the part where James says to us that we can find ourselves arrogant if we're not relying on God. All such boasting is evil. So not only does he call us arrogant and not relying on God, but he talks about boasting. And what he means there is this. That means that when you're ultimately relying upon yourself, I can do this. I don't need God. And you say, well, that's just sometimes my humanity. And it's really not a big deal at all. James says it is a big deal because James says it's evil. He says it's absolutely evil. Because this life of reliance on God is far deeper than just me saying, if the Lord wills. It's far more than that. It's more than words for you and I. It is. It's more than just those words, because that does not fulfill what James wants to teach us. And it's not just about eliminating planning. It's not that at all. Unless it's some kind of self-sufficient and self-important planning where you plan God out. It's not that at all. He's pointing to a humble reliance upon God that's based on this understanding that we're dependent on God for every instant and moment of our life. And this reliance on God shapes my heart and it shapes my mind and not just my words. So when I do use those words, if the Lord wills, then what he's saying to you and I is this. If you're going to say it, mean it. Is what he's saying. If you're going to say if the Lord wills. Then you've taken some moments to consider the will of God. And how that affects what you're about to do. Or what you might be doing in the future. And he says live it. Because it's arrogant not to believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. That ultimately God governs all things. He says it's absolutely arrogance. And when it reshapes my heart and mind, man, I rest in this truth. I rest in this truth that it's not all up to me. That God governs all aspects of my life. The last thought is this. Living out our inward attitude with outward actions. Living out our inward attitude with outward actions. Those are powerful. It's a, to me, it's a, it's a powerful thought because we don't always do this. It's when you know. Well, look at verse 17. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. Is what he says. It's when you know something and you don't do it that it's a problem. Listen, James could have given us this illustration about these merchants and left off verse 17. God would not have that, I'm sure. Why? 
Because if you leave off verse 17, it's very much like you meeting a lion in the middle of the jungle. And that lion has no teeth and that lion has no claws. It sort of takes the bite out of it. And if you leave 17 out of this understanding of of this illustration, then it really takes the bite. It takes the weight away from it. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. It is. I think it's real easy for you and I to say that, oh, we know God's will. I think it's easier for you and I to recognize our dependency on God, but to look at what God has already said about his will and do it, it's a whole different thing for us. So I begin to think about this in my life. Where are those moments in my life that I invite God in with his will and his direction within my life, in my planning and in the things that I do? And where are those places in my life which I push God aside and I say, God, I'm very competent, confident and competent in this area. So, God, I really don't need you right here. And I'm sure there's probably someone else that needs you much more than I need you. So, God, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to need you over here in these areas that I'm not really, really confident. In. And what I realized, and I wrote this down in my journal and in the notes this week, and, and I said to myself that I think what we do, we tend to ignore God in those areas of our life where we ex, where we excel and where we excel in our own skills and our own abilities. And we tend to drift away from God in those areas where we have our weaknesses. And so we invite God in one area and we say, God, we don't really need you in this other area. And when I look at this, understanding this illustration from the book of James, I realize that, hey, I don't have the latitude to, just to surrender certain areas of my life to God. That this is about God coming into all the areas of my life. Everything. Every area. This is about me consciously bringing God into all of my life, especially those areas where I can do a great job myself. So let me land this plane for a moment, and Allison is going to come out and she is going to play because her coming out and playing means that I talk less, right? So, so she's going to do that because, man, I could just tell you what this says to me, you know, in this thought, in this process, as James gives us this illustration. But what I, what I realize is that as I bring the, the wheels to the pavement for you and I this morning, that this is, this is the struggle of our lives, the consciously bring God in, to every moment and every area, even those areas where we think that we are very, very efficient in. And we say, God, you are ultimately in control of everything and every area of my life. What a practical illustration that James gives us. So I said, for practicality purposes then we should perhaps ask some questions that causes us to think for a moment. And so I could have made a list of 50 of them, but that's why I had Allison come out and play because I just want to give you a few. 
And so I sort of pose these questions. One would be, is it automatically God's will for me to grab every chance for advancement at any cost? I think it's a, it's a thought. It is. Would God want me to take a pay cut and a demotion in my job so I could spend more time with my family? Now, don't, don't give up on me yet, so hang on for a moment. What am I doing with the resources that God has provided for me to fulfill my greatest call, and that is to know him and to make him known to others? What am I doing with that? How do I assess and fulfill my divine call? And we're all called in this room, every one of us. How am I to fulfill that call from God in this world? You said, but Mark, I love God. Well, I'm not here to challenge that. That's not it. Well, Mark, I'm a Christian. This is not about challenging that either. James is writing to Christians. But this is about you taking this to heart because he is challenging you in the areas of your life where you have not invited God into. The plans that you have made, the routine that you have. And he takes this to heart because James is very clear that for you and I to know the right thing and not to do it is sin. It's sin, he says. But you say, well, Mark, my, my life is, you know, it's not a sinful life. It's just an average life. I mean, who gets up every morning, swings their feet out from the bed, puts them on the floor. And the first thing that comes to their mind, they say it out loud is, oh, my life is nothing but a mist. Right. Who does that? Who does that? So I'm just the average person that lives his life like most everybody else does. And I don't really think about that a lot. I really don't think about it. And James says in this text that your life is not average. Your life is sinful, he says. I'm not making that up. It's there. You read it along with me a few moments ago. That it's not enough for me, for me to just say to God, well, God, this is just normal human behavior. Yes, it is. Absolutely. I understand that of the brokenness of our lives. I, I get all of that. But we sort of in some way devalue and we pass this off as, oh, that's just the way we live in the world. And James says, no, that's not it at all. This is sinful for you and I to live this kind of life. To close God out. To make plans without considering his will. To set these lofty and vast goals for the future. Which we should do that. And that's important. James doesn't teach against that. But he says for you to do that outside of not by humility incorporating the fact that God is ultimately in control of your life. 
and your ultimate goal in life is to that to know Christ and make him known and anything outside of gauging everything that you plan in life and all of your routines anything anything outside of that for you and I is sin he says so this is a big deal this is an important thing to God is what he's teaching us well, Mark, my, my life is in a bad place right now. You know, my life is in a tough place. And all I want to do is I want to find the exit is what I want. I, I want to get out of this. I want this to end in my life. And, and can I tell you, and I, and I asked the first service this same question. Do you think that God woke up this morning, looked down from heaven, saw you and saw the predicament that you're in and where you are in life. And, and he, he was just absolutely shocked. And he never, you know, do you think he said, man, I didn't see that one coming. I did not. Do you think he nudged the Holy Spirit and said, hey, did you see that one coming? And if you did, why didn't you tell me, right? Yeah. And he didn't nudge the Father because nobody nudges the Father. And so, right? And, and so, do you think that God somehow was surprised by where you are today? No, because if you do, then you have simply stripped God or an attempt of his sovereignty in your life and in the world. So, no, he's not surprised. Because he sustains every moment of your life. So what do you do? I think we live life like this. And this is where I end this morning. I think we live life showing up at the end of July. Hot as blazes, right? I could say hot is something else and it would be absolutely appropriate, would it not? Yes, absolutely. Hot as blazes, puff jacket on, scarf here, you know? And we show up in the middle of July and we are denying it's July and keep saying to ourselves, it's January, it's January, it's January, it's January. Listen, if you're gonna try that right now, Go out in, a, in your winter jacket today in the front lawn and do that. Let me know how that works out for you, right? Yes. And let me know where to come visit you after your neighbors call the cops and tell you to come get you because you've lost your mind. And I think this is what we do in our life. We find ourselves in a season of life and we stand in the middle of it and we deny it and we deny it and we deny it. This is not July. This is January. This is not July. This is January. But have you ever thought in understanding what James has taught us this morning about the sovereignty of God and his involvement in every moment, every plan of your life, that you take a moment in the, in the light of the humility of who God is and you own the season of life that you're in. That you stop calling July, January, and you own the season of life that you're in. And you get your shorts back out, and you get your t-shirt out, you get your flip-flops out, and you put them on, and you say, God, I know that this is not a surprise to you. And I know that you're in every moment of my life. 
And I know that you're for me and not against me. So God, I believe that you're doing something eternal in my life today. Something that nothing else could affect my heart and my mind in the way that this is affecting me today. So I'm going to find some rest in you, God. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't understand that. I realize that James just told me that my life is a mist. So there's a lot of things I can't control. So I'm going to own where I am today. Knowing that you're doing something eternal in my So, Mark, how do you rest in that? You see, that's the whole teaching of James. Because it's embracing that will of God and that sovereignty of God in my life when I'm planning and when I'm in the routines and when I'm doing life to make things better for people and my family around me. That I find rest in those moments when I wish it was January and it's the end of July to say, God, you know best. So I trust you. I trust you where I am because you are always for me and not against me. And you see, that mindset doesn't just happen, does it? No, it does not. That's the purpose of this teaching this morning. It's not that you make this conscious decision To say, God, in everything I plan, everything I put together, in all the moments of my life, and all the moments that I can't control, I choose to realize that you're in control, Lord. You're in control, and I trust you. I trust you. So for a moment, can I pray with you today? If you will just take a moment, whether it's closing your eyes or sitting there silently or bowing your heads or whatever posture of prayer, whatever it is, that you're just opening your heart and your mind to God. For those of you that are joining us online this morning, that you would take a moment in the business of wherever you are today to just pray with us as well and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So Father, first of all, we want to say in our prayer, thank you. Thank you for the book of James. Thank you for this practical, powerful An absolutely amazing illustration. Thank you, God, that you know us so well that thousands of years ago, you gave us these words that describe our lives so, just so accurately. And God, just knowing that alone, Lord, just encourages us to realize that you were thinking of us and you're thinking of us today and we're on your mind and God that wherever we are and on this journey that that moment is not a surprise to you so father in the task of planning and organizing and setting goals and routines of our lives. God, may today challenge us 
to make sure that you are the center of all of that and we are not. Because God, the expectation that it places on us being the center of all of that is far greater weight than we could ever bear under. So Lord, let this be a moment that we surrender those places of our lives. God, especially the ones that we hold on to where we feel like that we are adequate in. God, may we surrender everything to you this morning. And God, as we face the coming months and all the pressure and all the demands that we lean into you, realizing that you are ultimately in control of all things. So when our schedule fails us, when our routine simply leaves us, that God, we can rest in you in those moments of our life. So we trust you today, Father. Speak to us. Lord, don't just change our minds, but transform our hearts with these truths this morning. And we give you praise for that. In your name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.